One focus, one subject. Welcome to The Real Story, the podcast that brings together global experts to explain one issue shaping the news. BBC World Service podcasts are supported by advertising. Hello, you've downloaded a podcast edition of News Hour Extra with Ritha Lushar. How much do you earn? It's a guaranteed conversation stopper. And to begin this week's programme, I've come to a London branch of the American grocery chain Whole Foods. It may be known for its organic food and pretty displays, but it's also something of a radical when it comes to employee pay policy. Shortly after the company was set up in the mid-1980s, the co-founder, John Mackey, made all pay data available to all employees. You could find out exactly what your boss or the colleague next to you was making. So why haven't more companies followed suit? Well, the truth is our pay is still largely a private matter, and in recent weeks we've seen the impact of that. Here in the UK, a deluge of complaints and some lawsuits are being brought against large companies by women who say they were historically underpaid because of a lack of pay transparency. Some argue that points to the fact that their lack of transparency is just asking for problems in the workplace, resentments and worse, genuine discrimination. But others say people have a right to privacy and without it, all hell could break loose. So what would change if we all knew what we were all paid? For individuals, for employers and for society. That's the topic of this week's programme. Now let's get over to the studio and meet our panel. And our panel is David Berkus, a best-selling author and associate professor of leadership and innovation at All Roberts University. He joins us from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Todd Zeng is a professor of business at the University of Utah. He's in Hong Kong. And Katrine Marshall, a Swedish writer and journalist now based in London. Now, there's a saying that you shouldn't discuss politics and religion at a dinner party. So does pay fall into that category too? Katrine. Well, you don't have to talk about it at the dinner party, but I do think it should be made public and we should talk about it more. Todd Zenger, should pay be private? So I think that the process by which pay is allocated should be public and depending on your company, depending on what you're trying to measure, actual pay levels should be either private or public. Oh, you're sitting on the fence a bit. David Berkus, what about you? So I'll go maybe not at the dinner party, but definitely around the lunch table at work. So you want to talk to your colleagues, but not necessarily to your friends? Yes. The only data that I'm aware of suggests that inside of a company, it's beneficial. Outside, throughout the entire country. Well, I live in the United States, so I don't have a lot of experience in that. All right. Well, let's get into that conversation. Katrine Marshall, attitudes may well be different in different parts of the world. And we'll talk about the wider implications on society later in the programme. But in Sweden, anyone can find out what anyone else is paid. And is that right? How does it work? Yes, and it has been working like that for 200 years. So it's actually protected in the Swedish constitution. So freedom of press and freedom of information legislation. So all public documents are, you know, anyone can can just request them. So you basically you pick up the phone to the tax authorities and uh, ask what your neighbour earns and they have to tell you. So it's completely normal. Nobody worries about it. Nobody thinks, gosh, you know, is this right? Is it a, is it a conversation that's ever even had? I mean, it's been 200 years. And I mean, in Norway, they used to read salaries out on, you know, on the village greens and the villages. So it's got a very long history in Scandinavia. And I suppose we're just transparent when it comes to these things. And it does work for us. Todd Zenger, I dare say they're not reading out salaries on village greens in the United States. How would you describe the situation there? So I think that there is increasing 
push to be transparent about the way pay is uh, processed and allocated. But I think there's still certainly far and away the preponderance of corporations are not broadcasting pay. There certainly are few exceptions, but uh, for the most part, it's, it's still very rare. David, 40% of US companies, I think, make it company policy that it's still not allowed to discuss pay in the workplace in the United States. You campaign for more transparency. It seems like you've got a long way to go. For one thing, it's actually more public than we think. So most people who work in the public sector, so state or federal government, um, it's already transparent. As Todd said, in the private sector, it's definitely the minority. The the interesting thing to me is that 40 percent. And every year when they do surveys like this, it goes up and down. But there are a significant number of companies that have a rule on the books forbidding employees to discuss salary, which is I always find curious because depending on your legal interpretation, that might actually be in violation of federal law. Why do you think that businesses are so reluctant to, to in a sense, be more open? Well, I think I think there's a, a very real fear, as Todd was alluding to, of um, dissatisfaction and people being upset because they make that pay comparison and they feel like they work harder than someone else and somebody else makes more than them, et cetera. Um, I totally understand that. My, my argument rests on a lot of times on the fact that people are already doing that without the data. Um, so making it transparent provides an opportunity to sort of correct some misassumptions about what people make. And then over time, as, as long as the company does have a fair system in play to set salaries – over time, that's a, a to benefit because you arrive at something that's seen as fair across the board. Todd Sanger, is this about power? Because there is a sort of information asymmetry here, isn't there? Obviously, somebody in the company, HR or someone, knows all the salaries. The staff don't know each other's salaries. There's a kind of power thing going on there. Is that why companies, do you think, are reluctant to let go? I think you're absolutely right that there is a power element here. And I think that Historically, some of the resistance to allowing people to share pay has something to do with this imbalance in power that they'd like to maintain. But I think it goes well beyond that. It's a little bit like an educational situation where I want to let students know exactly how performance is determined, but I don't want to advertise and broadcast to the whole class here's what your grade was on a particular assignment. Instead, I tell them, hey, look, here's the distribution. This is where you fell. Here's how grades were allocated. But I don't humiliate them in some sense by sort of saying, hey, look, you were in the bottom quartile. And look, let's show this to everybody. Katrine, is there an element of humiliation? The, the more public these, these sums become known, the salaries of the person sitting next to you or whatever, is there a danger that employees actually become rather scared and upset by what they find out? Well, I think, of course, there's a danger. But I also think if your salaries are set in such a way that people feel humiliated and upset when finding out about them and themselves compared to others, then maybe there's something wrong with your salary structure. Let's keep thinking about how businesses behave and we'll discuss the impact on the individual a bit more later in the programme. Let's talk to a businessman who's actually tried this in practice. Dane Atkinson is someone who believes in transparency. He's the CEO of Some All, a startup that's been transparent since its creation. Dane Atkinson, why did you decide to make your startup transparent? Well, I had the uh, luck of having lots of companies prior um, and making many of the mistakes that I think uh, opaque salaries cause. Um, somewhat abusive to my team, trying to create the best shareholder value uh, and paying that price. And when we started this last business, uh, we felt that there would be a better way to build a company. And we felt that an open marketplace in salary would actually create you know, more stability and less of that evil creeping in, less of the abuse, uh, which we actually ended up having. 
Uh, so we all voted. We started with a pretty big team, about 20 people, and we sat around and we voted, do we want to be transparent? Everyone voted yes. Do we want everyone in the world to see our salaries? Everyone voted no. Um, and we set forth on the adventure that it's been. So describe how it works in practice then. Internally, you can see each other's salaries. You know, we're a petri dish of sorts. We're an experiment for sure in how this kind of thing can work in an organization. When we started out, we actually were um, what we considered to be broadcast. So every time we hired a new person, we would broadcast to the agency what that salary was and, and sort of the thesis behind why we paid them that. Through time, we discovered that was a bit of a heavy tax on the team because they would have to go through that same emotional rationalization. So the current standing version is that all the salaries are kept on a public drive, and they can be searched at any point, and anyone can go see what people are making, which they do in the beginning, and then they sort of wane off through time. Do you think it makes you a more competitive company? Absolutely. We have far less churn in organization, and we're much more resistant to sort of our enemies from a hiring standpoint, the Googles and the Facebooks, because I think there's this misperception of you not being compensated correctly. In our organization, we all feel like we're in the boat together. We, we understand why we're all being paid a certain amount. We understand how the company appreciates us. And the external offers are sort of like someone in you know, Sweden is offering us a deal, but everyone here in New York is making this, so we're a little more resistant to it. And what would you say the downsides are? There must be a downside. They're not obvious. So we do spend quite a bit more time with the organization explaining why sales teams make one rate, engineers make another, data scientists make another. So there's a bit more communication. As a CEO, I, I do miss being abusive. So. <laughs> what do you mean by that? You know, there's a nice thing about being private is you can make mistakes in your sort of salary structure without having a cost, or at least a perceived cost. It comes back to, to bite you, as David says, in the lunchroom. So if I'm doing a financing and I need to raise you know, a hunk of money, I want to hire somebody that makes it easier, I'll pay them anything. I would, I would literally hire them at whatever cost it took. And then I'd have this person walking around my office making twice what anyone else is making and praying to God that no one makes a printer mistake and it becomes a revealed secret. But I can't do that now, right? I can't try to hire a team just for a single purpose. At the end of the day, everyone's going to come back at me and say, why are we paying this person so much more money? Do you think this is even possible for you because you are a startup rather than an established business that will perhaps have some of these differentials built in? You're trying to avoid them from the get-go. Yeah, I think the conversion process is hard, for sure, if you've sort of built some errors in your salary system. I don't think it's limited to startups at all. Uh, so the thing that was truly shocking about this was uh, it's sort of like tasting freedom. I don't understand why we were ever the other way. Why, as, a, as an organization, would we want to have an opaque market? It, it just creates a faster dynamic environment where everyone feels they're being paid right and that they self-correct quickly. And all the bureaucracy and, you know, do I need to do Dane's laundry to get a braise? That just disappears because it's very clear what the organization promotes and what it pays for. But what about differences between job types? So, for instance, in a sales team, there can be a clear relationship between your pay and your performance. In a team that's more collaborative, that's doing you know, work that is it's less obvious how you calculate the value, isn't it more difficult then to compare pay rates? Yeah, that sucks. So I think the one of the big stress points we felt on it is as we built the sales team, we had this um, spectacular engineer. She went to MIT. Uh, she got a second degree in design. And then we hired this lady who went to the University of Miami who just was a killer salesperson. And she was making the same amount of money. So there was sort of that larger question about my career choices in life and, and what do I want to do. And that happens a lot for us, which isn't easy. 
but I think it's better to happen in a place where you can have the conversation. So the engineer says, why am I making this? And we can explain how the market works, and we can explain that her top end is higher. And you see people switching careers in our company all the time. They go from support to data scientist or from data scientist to engineer because they they see a better career path themselves because it's just laid out in front of them. Dane Atkinson, thank you very much for that real-world example. Todd Zenger, as someone who sat on the fence, I think it was fair to say at the beginning, are you swayed by any of that? My position is that there are many virtues of pay transparency. You sort of lay out the game people are playing. They understand what they need to do to increase pay. But the language that Dane used was there's a market, and very often inside, particularly large corporations, there isn't a market. Instead, you've got hundreds of people essentially performing very similar jobs, and there are subtle differences between their levels of performance. Performance is not particularly objectively uh, measurable. There are elements that you can objectively measure, but there are things like integrity and cooperation and respect. These things are very difficult uh, to measure, and everything you do to sort of focus attention on those objective measures and neglect these more subjective ones uh, causes people to ignore those subjective measures. And so it becomes really difficult to objectively identify pay. And so and as soon as you sort of start making pay in any way subjective, then you get into this social comparison problem where people are sort of saying, look, my contribution is greater than yours. And if you try to be highly transparent with pay, what you end up doing is saying, look, we're just going to abandon all of this and we're going to pay people based on seniority. We're going to pay them based on what job they're in, and we're just going to do away with any effort to reward performance, okay. which well, may not be a bad thing. You one know, orga- it it well, depends on what you're trying to achieve. Let's hear from one organization that has been trying to gather evidence about whether pay transparency is good or bad for business, and that's the American website PayScale. Now, the main thing they do is provide information about salary, benefits, and compensation. And as part of that, they do research. And the company recently surveyed more than half a million American employees about how they felt about pay and transparency and their employer's attitude to the topic. Tim Lowe is a senior vice president at PayScale. He told told me one of the most interesting findings from the survey was that employees valued transparency even if it revealed they were being paid comparatively less than others. One of the things we found out that even if you were underpaid, if your employer was good at communicating with you about why you were paid, for example, not-for-profit organizations often struggle to pay you know, at, at the market with privately held companies, but they have a strong mission. So if companies were good at explaining why they paid the way they paid, oftentimes employees, the respondents to this survey, were actually happy to accept lower pay if they understood the reason why. And there's a little bit of a revolution. And we think for employers, it's a really powerful thing to understand that communication matters as well as what you pay and how you pay. Tim Lowe from PayScale, a reminder that you're listening to NewsHour Extra, and today we're discussing whether our pay should be private. David Berkus, interesting there that employees appreciated the communication. Do you think that if companies recognise that, that they would be more willing to consider some form of pay transparency? 
Yeah, certainly. I mean, depending on how you how you count it mathematically, right, about half of organizations are paying below median, right, for each position, right? So I think there's definitely a benefit in regards that if, if we can trust that now, adults or adults can think rationally and once they understand why they're paid below market rate, it reduces that intention to quit. There's always going to be a small percentage of employees that hear that they're below market rate and start thinking, oh, well, I can make more somewhere else. But I guess my question is, do you, re- do you really want them or do you want the employees who are, yes, I understand why we're in a growth mode or I understand why we're uh, in this sector and uh, as a result, we can't pay as much as you could get if you jump to another sector. I'm really encouraged by that pay scale data that shows that it reduces that intention to quit because they know not and the key is not they know what the rate is but the key is that they know why but what do you make of todd zenger's point which is in a sense it can lead to the decoupling of pay from some of the more subtle features of, of what makes someone a good employee and essentially flatten pay structures everybody ends up getting the same yeah, so I, I agree with Todd on that. I think if you've got a very subjective way that you're setting salaries now, if you've got a very subjective way that you're assessing performance, then you've got bigger problems to solve before you start pulling back the curtain and saying, here, here's the scale. I, I do think that, though, in a knowledge work economy and a very team-based work environment that most of us are in in the developed world – I'm I'm not entirely sure individualized pay for performance is all that worthwhile versus team performance or or having a a set salary based on what the job is worth doing and then um, having bonuses and things like that tied to how the, the company performance. So there's kind of a broader debate of wh- how we reward what we reward um, that has to go through first. But when you have those things set, I don't I don't necessarily see a negative to pulling back the curtain and going, okay, well now that we've got a fair system, here's what it is. Katrine, do you think in Sweden that is almost accepted that pay? Pay is flatter. There's less delineation. Well, pay is flatter in Sweden if you compare to the UK or the US. So I think maybe pay transparency leads to that. But of course, in the Scandinavian case, you don't know what came first, sort of the transparency or more equality and what's the cause and effect there. But definitely, I don't think, you know, more flattened pay structures is, is necessarily a bad thing. But then there could be cultural barriers to that, couldn't there? Which what's acceptable in Scandinavia may well not be acceptable in the United States. Yes, but we also, I mean, there's lots of studies showing how, you know, pay is not the only incentive. It's not a coincidence that there's these sort of startups and, and new companies that try these these new models because they are looking for different incentives and different leadership models and uh, and transparency, especially with millennials who are transparent with everything from what they have for breakfast to their feelings and tweeting everything. I think this is something that's coming. It's a trend and I think companies need to respond to it. Todd Zinger, what about different types of transparency and how they might apply to different kinds of company. Do you think there's a difference between how small companies and big companies can approach this? And indeed, are there ways that would be perhaps more acceptable to most companies? The comments from Tim at Payscale, what he was talking about, it it seemed mostly were that people like transparency about the way they're being paid. And I think that's unambiguously true. Workers like to know the game they're playing, They want to know what the reward structure looks like. And so that kind of transparency is unambiguously good. For me, the real question is, under what circumstances does it make sense to sort of broadcast everyone's pay level? And clearly in a sales setting where everything's quite objective, there's not much additional information associated with actually broadcasting people's pay level because they can see how much they've sold and they can calculate how much they'll get paid. But would you but find it more thing. acceptable if companies simply revealed bands of pay that, you know, people in this, this, at this level earn within this, this pay frame? So, uh, you know, £50,000 or dollar gaps, if, as it were. 
Yeah, I think that's unambiguously good. I think that that kind of pay transparency, here's what happens at this level, here's what happens at the next level, here's what happens in, you know, here, this is what this job type gets paid. And I think that's a little bit what you see in, in smaller companies. Every job is sort of a snowflake. It's a different job. And as a consequence, there's a pay level associated with that. It becomes more complex in a big company where you've got lots of people in that same category, and yet you're still trying to create incentives for, for promotion and, and, and for performance. David Berker's government and public sector pay in many Western countries is already completely transparent. Aren't there lessons to be learned from that for the private sector? Yeah, I think there definitely are. And, and you know, that's I, I actually Todd and I are kind of in agreement on, I think, re- having salary bans, revealing where those salary bans is. That's the level of transparency that that most organizations can get to. I Obviously, I think it'd be fantastic if everyone could grow to the point of being able to do what Dane has done with some all. But that's it's a unique company and, and not everybody's ready to go from total secrecy to that. I think banding and revealing those bans is a huge step forward. And that's what uh, in the federal government and state organizations in the United States, that's kind of how it works. There's G1. G2, G3, and everybody knows what those salary bands are, and they know what the position and the career track for the position for those bands are. So Todd brings up a good point, though, that when you have a large organization like that, you start to go, well, is this G3 job really equivalent to this G3 job in a totally different sector? But I think those are valuable conversations to have. To to Dane's point earlier, it does sort of add to the amount of time you have to spend talking about these things versus doing the work of the organization. But they're still good conversations to have. So do you think, though, that if companies recognize the benefits, which might be that you can retain employees, you have happier employees, particularly in a situation where actually you've, you know, you're reaching near full levels of employment, then actually they would be more willing to do this. Because at the moment, it seems like there's a lot of resistance from business that this is undeniably a bad thing. That seems to be the view. Yeah, well, I think, you know, it goes back to, to Dan's point when you're in that senior leadership role. This might seem like I have a million other fires to put out right now. This is not the one I need to do. And there's times where I want to be able to hide my mistakes in this cloak of secrecy. So I understand that resistance. Um, at the same time, the, the movement is growing, which I think is evidenced by people making that dollars and cents case that there are strong benefits to have and that these or, benefits or, outweigh the costs. Well, do the benefits outweigh the costs? I mean, they could be pay inflation, couldn't they? When people dis- discover that actually they're paid a lot less than they thought they, they should be or that they were compared to somebody else, I want a pay rise. I think you don't, you don't necessarily see the pay inflation. There are definitely costs. I do think the benefits outweigh the costs, though. Katrine, when you listen to this debate and listen to how the United States and much of the rest of Europe considers this, are you a bit baffled by our reluctance? And is there a pushback, perhaps, from some Swedish businesses to the transparency that exists? Not really, because it's protected in the Constitution. So it's difficult to push back against the the Constitution. But yes, of course, there's a debate. And if, if this sort of... You know, people can look look up anyone online and not not just within your company, but any someone who you go on a date on, et cetera, et cetera. And what does this do to society? Does this create a culture of envy? We certainly have that discussion. And just to remind you, you're listening to a podcast edition of NewsHour Extra from the BBC World Service. This week, we're asking, should pay be private? Each week, we tackle a different topic and you can download the programme every Friday. I encourage you to subscribe so you won't miss an edition. And there are also many other BBC World Service podcasts to choose from. You could try Witness, our history series told by the people who were there. First-hand accounts of some of the events that have helped to shape our lives and the places we live in. There are five podcasts. Casts a week and an incredible archive to dip into.
Do please let us know what you think of this NewsHour Extra podcast or any ideas for topics you'd like us to look into. You can email us at newshour.extra at bbc.co.uk or tweet to at bbcnhextra. But now let's get back to this edition of NewsHour Extra with Rithula Shah looking at Should Pay Be Private? We're joined by David Berkus, a Professor of Leadership and Innovation at Oral Roberts University. He joins us from Tulsa, Oklahoma, by Todd Zenger, Entrepreneurship and Strategy Department Chair at the University of Utah. He's in Hong Kong. And Katrine Marshall, a Swedish writer and journalist now based in London. Earlier in the programme, we talked about the impact of pay transparency on businesses and whether it's good for the bottom line. Now let's talk about the impact on individuals. What happens to the workplace when pay is transparent? And also, what happens when staff take matters into their own hands and try to make pay transparent? Is it always good for employees? And how does it change worker behaviour? Katrine Marshall, first of all, each year in Sweden, Finland and Norway, everyone's income tax returns are available. Is it, in a sense, a snooper's charter for everyone to look at, to look at what the neighbour is earning? Yes, absolutely. You just pick up the phone and you ask. However, they changed the system a couple of years ago. So if you pick up the phone and you ask what your neighbour earns, your neighbour will get a letter basically telling your neighbour that you wanted to know what he or she earns. So being able to look is one thing, but does it actually mean that everyone's much more relaxed about discussing their pay? I think people are definitely more relaxed than in other countries, yes. Why? Because the information is out there. It's not a secret to hide. And obviously because, I mean, not that many people perhaps pick up the phone and ask about their neighbours, but certainly journalists will do journalism based on this type of information and publish lists, who earns the most in your town, etc., etc., etc. You can buy this book where everyone in your municipality, their salaries are listed. It's just something that's out there. You've lived in the UK now, I think, for six years. The British stiff upper lip is uh, famously discussed. How would you say British society differs from Scandinavian society when it comes to discussing matters like this? It's a taboo here, definitely. I mean, people are more inclined to talk about the number of sex partners than their their salaries. And, you know, as a Scandinavian, you find that a bit a bit odd. Yes, definitely. But I think also because equality here is is much, you know, much more serious, your salary sort of means more. It says a lot about you and your quality of life. In in Sweden, yes, you know, this is what I earn, but it doesn't it doesn't say that much about as much about me and you know my life as it does my salary does here in the UK. So you think money is much more equated with status in the UK? Money is more equated with status definitely and you know quality of life you know you can buy yourself a better life here in a way that you can't do in Scandinavia so I think therefore it becomes a much more sensitive topic. Have you ever tried to provoke a conversation like that in in the UK? Yes, definitely. And and people get very awkward around it. And I think I, you know, I provoke that type of conversation just without knowing it as well. I think we are more relaxed talking about these things, anything from house prices to salaries. Well, let's cross the Atlantic and hear from Erica Baker. She used to work for Google. And as she explains, a casual conversation with her colleagues snowballed into something much bigger and ultimately altogether more controversial. When I was at Google, a group of us were talking about an article that was in the Atlantic magazine that was talking about how people are shy about discussing salaries and, and what effect employers have on that feeling of shyness, the cooling effect. You're not supposed to talk about this, but we won't say that outright. 
anyway, uh, we were all just discussing salaries and we're like, we can share our salaries together. And there was a small group of us. And then we sort of were like, well, this doesn't work well because we're commenting in a, a chat thread and like, maybe let's put in a spreadsheet. So I made a spreadsheet for us to put it in and I put a form on the spreadsheet and shared it with the whole company. And how many people, once you'd put it out there for the whole company, how many uh-huh. people chose to share their details? Quite a few. By the time I left Google, around 2,500 people had put their salaries in the spreadsheet. What did the company make of it? They're not super pleased, turns out. (laughs) That happened on a Sunday. My manager was out the next Monday. Tuesday, she was back in and I got a call into her office and was like, why did you do that? (laughs) It's like, uh, why not? (laughs) And, you know, it was like, well, the people above me sort of, she was telling me like relaying that they were displeased, uh, with my actions. And I was like, well, you know, they can't do anything about it because retaliation for sharing salaries is against the law. She says, well, there are, they don't have to fire you. There are other ways that it could go badly for you. And I was like, oh, okay. When people started contributing to this spreadsheet, Did you learn things that were shocking or did you think, okay, I know why Fred earns more than Joe because Fred works harder than Joe? Everybody there works really hard. And there are things that were in the spreadsheet that were very shocking to me and the company tried to explain them away. Yeah, there were some things in there that I didn't, I wasn't already aware of and it was interesting to see in black and white. And And I got several follow-up messages from people later on, like, thank you so much for that spreadsheet it gave me the data I needed to be able to have a serious talk with my manager about how much I was getting paid. So a lot of people got their pay moved to where it should be as a result of that spreadsheet. So it did open up conversations. Absolutely did. Do you think it was a wholly constructive process? Do you think that everybody benefited from it? Or do you think some people might have had their self-esteem crushed by that knowledge? Initially, some people might have, you know, had a negative reaction. I, you know, if I had seen that my pay was lower than those of my peers at that time, I would have had a severe negative reaction. Like, why do they get paid more than me? But I think the knowledge that they could then use to go and advocate for getting paid fairly and equitably, I think, is a benefit overall. At that point, I didn't think that the spreadsheet should persist. The data in it was useful, but it wasn't completely accurate. It was just source data from individuals in the company. But what I asked Google for at that point was to share internally the salary bands for each level so that we could have the accurate, the real like data that HR used to determine where people got paid. Right. And so we didn't have to like keep crowdsourcing the spreadsheet. We could just like have the data given to us from the company. And Google declined to release the salary bands internally. And I was like, okay, well, then the spreadsheet keeps going. From what you saw of the spreadsheet that you had, did it reveal, what would you say were the big one or two key things that it revealed? There are definitely some pay inequities across different bands. Um, and that's that's as much as, I, as I've ever said publicly about the spreadsheet, because when I left, I promised everybody there that I wouldn't say exactly what was in the spreadsheet. But it definitely revealed some like pay inequities that needed to be resolved. And as we saw, what was it last year, that a salary spreadsheet got leaked from Google. Turns out that it showed that women weren't being paid fairly. And so there's pending litigation for that now. So that should give you an idea of what was in the spreadsheet. 
Erica Baker there. So we've heard two experiences, the relaxed Scandi approach from Katrine and the reaction from Google in the US when a member of staff decided to open up a conversation about pay. David Burkus, what do you think the evidence is about how knowing this stuff might change worker behaviour and indeed attitudes? Yeah. So again, I think it comes down to whether or not you've got a fairly fair and equitable pay scale to begin with. So Google is notable for not necessarily paying people on a on an inverted U. They more pay people on a power law where they are unashamed about the idea of if we perceive someone to be of great value, we'll give them a huge salary. And the spreadsheet that Eric is describing was sort of a smack back at them going, well, maybe this whole thing is a bit more subjective than you think. And you're actually by keeping all of this stuff secret, you're actually allowing some discrimination to happen. It's it's not that the, the Google's pay system causes that wage discrimination, but it allows executives and senior leaders in the organization to not have to look at the problem and not have to fix it. Todd Zenger, in a sense, by not having transparency, is it a, really a, an opportunity for discrimination to take root to happen? Absolutely. It certainly creates an environment where that's easier to have happen. It also does... Uh, limit the power of employees to go bargain for more pay. And and you saw that in this case, by making salaries transparent, you sort of empowered people to go and sort of say, hey, look, here's objective and data and, well, somewhat objective data. The salaries are objective. Their performances aren't, aren't necessarily objective. It certainly empowers them to go be able to negotiate for more pay. So that sounds motivating rather than demoralizing. Absolutely. I mean, there's, of course, another side to this, and this has always been my position, is that there's a good side to this pay transparency, but you better go into it with eyes wide open about what you're unleashing. The potential bad side of it is that, by definition, 50% of people are below, you know, below the median. And When so they find you, that out, they get yeah, depressed I mean, and leave. Nothing, And there's evidence to that as well. There was a famous study that was done in the California university school system. And when data was first made publicly available about uh, salaries in in the UC system, a group of uh, scholars sent out letters to a random sample of faculty sort of informing them, hey, did you know you can go find out your pay at this newspaper site. And uh, then they allowed that to play out and then surveyed them some months later about their turnover intentions. And lo and behold, those that were below average in terms of their pay level were much more likely to indicate turnover intentions. You know, so the good side of that is maybe they were underpaid and maybe they were able to go and, and negotiate. But in some instances, These were contributing employees doing good things for their corporation who suddenly had pay and pay inequity sort of shoved in their face. Katrine Marshall, that's that's potentially a very big downside that actually workers are are discouraged. They may find discrimination, but they can't necessarily do much about it. And actually, you lose good staff. Of course, that can happen. But I suppose with transparency, if you people are going to be half are going to be below the median. But if you find as they might have found at Google, for example, that most of the people below the median are women, then you see you see a structure and you can do something about it. But of course, I mean, normal workers don't have the same bargaining powers as, for example, senior executives, where we've seen that sort of pay transparency among that group have led to sort of wage inflation. And then probably the same thing doesn't happen for normal employees. So if you have that information, how can it help you in that battle? 
Well, I mean, so my experience from Sweden, you do, when you go into salary negotiation, you look up, and if you're a woman, you look up the men that do similar jobs to you. And you go into the salary negotiation with that information. And you don't necessarily, it's considered a little bit sort of bad manners to say, oh, hey, Bob over there is making this much or Bjorn, because we're in Sweden. But but you know that your manager knows and he, and he or she knows that you know. And therefore, I think the negotiations are often better because, I mean, in economics, we tend to assume that more information is, is a good thing. So if Bjorn or Bob do decide to go to their company and they do decide the company decides to become more transparent, could the law actually on privacy stop them? Obviously, the legal situation is different in different parts of the world. But one place the law of privacy is quite strict is here in the UK. Hugh Tomlinson QC is a barrister at Matrix Chambers in London. Hugh Tomlinson, could a British company become transparent if it wanted to? Or would the law, in a sense, act as a break? In Britain, we've generally, we've traditionally regarded um, information about pay as private. People don't talk about what other people earn in general, and the law regards it as private information. But what a company does internally depends on the contracts it has with its employees. So an employer could say to the employees, as a condition of working here, you have to agree that all earnings are transparent, that the law would certainly permit that. But at the moment, then, is there a reasonable expectation of privacy that everyone, or does everyone assume rather more than actually exists? Everybody rightly assumes that information about their finances, their salary, their wealth and so on are private. And if someone sought to publish that private information, the law would stop them. But what the law doesn't stop is um, individual employers deciding that, that they will take a transparent attitude towards their own employees' earnings. We do also have this slightly strange situation where the salaries of public employees, such as the armed forces or the civil servant service, are actually already transparent. We know what people are paid. Why do you think that hasn't, in a sense, created a bigger lobby to make pay transparency a legal issue in the sense of actually legislating for it? Questions about public sector pay have caused a lot of political issues in the past, as as we all know. I mean, it turns out that lots of managers in, for example, the health service earn more than the prime minister, and there's been um, arguments about that and about other public servants. But I think it's so deep in our culture, the idea that salaries are private and other people shouldn't know them, that there hasn't been a movement to make salaries or tax returns public, in contrast to the position in Scandinavian countries, which uh, has been discussed. And you talk about there being a strong public interest. So are things written into contracts? Is there a contractual basis on which we resist that public interest? As far as I know, nobody has it written into their contracts that they can't tell other people about their salaries. You know, you can tell your friends what you earn, you can tell your fellow employees what you earn. But I think everybody expects, and reasonably in the context of our law and culture, that their employers won't go and tell other people what they earn without their consent. But as I say, that can be completely changed by employers rewriting the contracts. And, And there's a strong You might say there's a strong public interest argument of the kind that's been discussed to say that, well, actually, it helps in terms of equality. If everybody in the company knows what everybody else is earning, it helps to make sure that there aren't 
disparities on the grounds of gender, for example. But equally, is there the possibility of harm if you know actually the guy living five doors down is really rather better off than you might have imagined? Is that an invitation to sort of burglars? Well, I think that's one of the problems that people in England see about making issues about wealth, tax, uh, salaries and so on more transparent because obviously if you discover that a retired person living at the end of your street who you thought was a pensioner is actually a millionaire, then burglars, kidnappers, all that kind of uh, you know, people might be attracted. There's obviously got to be some protections, but you could, for example, have a contract of employment that said everybody in the company will know everybody else's salaries, but everybody is forbidden to reveal those to anybody else outside the company. Hugh Tomlinson, thank you very much. So what comes over from that is there is no real legal obstacle to us knowing each other's salaries, pay transparency. Obviously, the law will vary a little bit around the world. Uh, David Burgess, would you support the idea then, if the law doesn't get in the way, that perhaps there should be government action to achieve greater transparency? This is where I actually jump on the fence and say, no, I'm not actually in support of that. I, I think the the evidence has shown, you know, Todd actually referenced the University of California system, which is, again, an example. There's actually a myriad of things weird with that study, with the way that they decided to roll it out and then the fact that it's intention to quit, et cetera. But it's a very different scenario than what Dane Atkinson and his company did, which is democratically decide this is how we're going to start deciding pay. I'm much more in favor of a movement that's based off of individual companies and senior leaders inside of companies and the entire employee base voluntarily moving into toward transparency rather than having it forced from the top down. That is for two reasons. One, I think that's probably going to be a movement that travels faster. The other is that, at least in the United States right now, we're at a highly polarized time. And so to make it a political issue, I think, would make it take much longer to roll out than it would if it's a voluntary issue among senior leaders and among employees of individual companies signing on. Katrine, make the case for a government creating incentives. I think the discussion about the gender pay gap, which is huge and getting bigger, sort of leads to those type of policies. I mean, now there's a new law on Iceland. I mean, already they have pay transparency there, but sort of basically forcing companies with more than 25 employees to prove that that they are not discriminating based on gender. And I think those sort of initiatives we will be seeing more of and we will see people demanding that. And I think that will create a move towards towards transparency. Todd, in in a sense, no legal obstacles. If, in a sense, governments could intervene, would that be the thing that forces companies to to weigh up how they could make this work for themselves? There are certainly a lot of things that government can do to push toward gender equality with pay short of of requiring them to broadcast it, right? And, Mm. and, And some of those things are already happening in terms of just disclosing by gender, by job, what pay levels are. Of course, there's disagreement about what gender equality is. Is that gender equality across the entire corporation or is it by job? But there's certainly things short of publicizing pay for everyone that that gets you, I think, the same place. You accept then that by giving people information, it is actually going to give people an incentive to bring about change? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no question. But then doesn't that explain why people are reluctant to let go of that information because they're scared about what it might mean for them, their personal position? Absolutely. This empowers employees to be able to bargain for more pay. And 
from an employee perspective, that's unambiguously good. What I think will also happen is people have very exaggerated perceptions of their own performance when performance is somewhat subjective. I mean, we're talking about very significant differences. And as a consequence of this, they're always going to view pay as being unfairly distributed uh, when it's at all subjective. As a consequence of this, what you're likely to see is pay be much more like the government, where pay is based on seniority and job class. And that may not be a a bad thing necessarily, depending on what your objectives are. You're going to see gender equality. There's going to be lots of good outcomes associated with that, but you're not going to get the same kind of pay for performance that you see in in many corporations David And David Berkus, that might make the most competitive, dare I say it, the alpha males in our society rather unhappy. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure that's a bad thing. No, no, Todd, I'm actually glad that he brought that up. Todd actually has a really good study that's a survey of about 700 software engineers that shows the sort of the the Lake Wobegon effect, right? I think it was something like 92% of people thought they were in the top quarter. So I can definitely see how revealing that you're in the bottom half because you are in performance wise, et cetera, is is a tough conversation to have. It's probably a good conversation to have. Where I split hairs on this is that I think when you look at 2018, the most work that people in knowledge work uh, economies are doing, it is team dependent work. And so I don't know that there's a much of a case that can continue to be made for individualized incentives, individual things. I'm, so I am, I'm kind of in favor of a little bit more flattened base salary system and then bonuses that are based on how the organization did or how the team did, because most of us are relying on others to be able to perform anyway. Katrine, do you think it's crucial in a sense to have pay transparency if you're going to uncover discrimination and unfairness of all kinds in a workplace? Of course, if you don't have the information, you can't see the structure and then you can't go to somebody and demand change. But then you can see also from the conversation we've just had how it's actually going to be quite bad for some people. In what way? If if you're the person that is the most competitive, that is the most highly performing, you may not be distinguished in quite the way that you are now in terms of your pay. No, no. And that doesn't bother you? It doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. And I suppose also, I mean, what's what's performance and what's discrimination and what's sort of, you know, the way we we view performance, if it's a man versus a woman, you know, these are all discussions that we need to have and we can't have them without having the information of, you know, what people earn. OK, so we've talked about what the pros and cons of this might be like, but let's just think about what the future looks like. Uh, Katrine, do you think it's inevitable that pay structures will be more transparent in most places in, say, 10 years' time? Um, I do think definitely there's a move towards that. I don't think many other countries will adopt a Scandinavian model because it has you know, 200-year-old historic roots protected in the constitution, etc., etc., etc. But yes, I think we, we are moving in that direction. Todd Zenger is, uh, is the zeitgeist behind transparency. So I certainly see a world in which pay systems are much more transparent. I'm, I, I actually agree with David that you're more likely to, you're likely to see a growth in sort of group-based uh, pay systems and group-based bonuses. I think, though, that uh, there's a push against, um, I think there's a, a push toward greater privacy and protecting one's data. And I think that that's going to win out in terms of actual pay levels, that we can achieve all we want to without actually having to broadcast people's pay levels. So in a sense, people are going to have discrete discrete units, if you like, are going to be able to see each other's pay. 
we're going to be able to validate uh, the, the the fact that companies are 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 being fair about the way they're uh, managing pay systems, but we're not actually telling everybody that, look, you're in the first percentile, you're in the 99th percentile, sort of dealing with all the social psychology of shaming as well as rewarding. We can do it a little bit like we do universities, where it's it's transparent, but, but we don't broadcast. And do you think that we'll be able to persuade companies to actually get over the fact that they, they shouldn't stop people from discussing these things? I think that that trains out of the you know out of the station. Um, that's already happening, and ab- absolutely, they can't. I think it's very difficult to to preclude people from sharing pay with one another on a private basis. David Burkus, you I think you mentioned or Todd Zenger mentioned that we live in a time when politics is very divided. Uh, does pay transparency simply play into that narrative? I think it can. And that's why I've been really careful to say that this is something I, I want to see voluntarily rolled out in the private sector, not manually enforced. There, There is one um, law that we're seeing gain steam in different states. Uh, a number of states have signed on to the idea that companies, um, among other questions they're not allowed to ask in interviews, uh, companies are not allowed to ask people what their prior salary was. It's a sort of a way of balancing out, not that much, but a little bit of balance to the information asymmetry problem. And that is actually something that sort of balances the uh, American or Western desire for transparency with a desire to be, or excuse me, for privacy with a desire to be a little bit more um, equitable in how we determine pay. So that is a trend that I think we're definitely going to see continue on the government side without a lot of political intervention. And I'm really skeptical of pushing for anything more than that because I see where it could go wrong and become a divisive political issue. And in the short term, given that we have an economic environment where employment is rising, we have a political environment that's very divided, uh, does it suggest to you that, and, and people know more, information is everywhere, is it inevitable that people will just demand more and more transparency and actually companies, whatever they're feeling, are not going to be able to hold back? (laughs) Predictions are tricky, especially about the future. Um, I definitely think the trend will continue. As as Katrine said, the millennial generation appears to be far more transparent on that. By the way, I had a chocolate muffin and a protein shake. Um, As a millennial, (laughs) I should tell you what I had for breakfast. So we're definitely going to see that trend. Again, I think if it's a voluntary one, I I don't think we're going to get to 100%. But I think we're going to see more and more companies sign on for it. And I think we're going to see talent, particularly women and minority talent, flock to companies that are more transparent because they're seen as being more fair. Katrine Marshall, is that a vision that appeals to you that you think is is the direction of travel? I I do think so, yes. And, And do you think that it will become the way in which people decide who to work for? Yeah, I think it already is. That's a, that's a big influencer for people. Uh, absolutely. All right, that's it for this week from News Hour Extra. Thank you very much to all our guests, Katrine Marshall, David Berkus, Todd Zenger. If you'd like to listen back to this programme or any other from the archive, you can listen at bbcworldservice.com slash Extra. And if you like this week's programme, make sure you never miss another edition and subscribe to our podcast. And we'd love to hear your thoughts about the programme. Email us, newshour.extra at bbc.co.uk. From me, Rithal Ashar and the team, that is News Hour Extra for this week. Thank you very much for listening.